Well, today we find ourselves looking at yet another one of Jesus' parables. He gave just short of 40 in, in Scripture. About a third of the parables deal with money, and that should not surprise us. It should not surprise us that the Lord spent so much time teaching about money because money plays such a, a predominant role in our lives. I read a stat recently that said the average American spends more time thinking about money than he does not thinking about money, thinking about how to make money, how to spend money, how to save money, invest money, borrow money, and so on. Money, possessions, wealth is so much a part of the world's experience that it can easily rule us. Jesus understood this. Not a lot has changed today from then. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 16. We're going to be studying verses 1 through 13 this morning. In this parable, Jesus will use the ungodly's views and use of wealth to provide us lessons in godliness. Very, very unique. Jesus often did unique things with parables, but especially here. Let's pick up reading in verse 1 of, of Luke 16. Just read the first part here, down to verse 7 through verse 8. Beginning in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people will receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 80. And here's the shocker, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. His master praised him because he acted shrewdly. We have already established in our study of the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was a master storyteller. And in many of the stories that he tells, in the parables that he tells, they contain shocking details. This parable certainly does. In this parable, Jesus, again, uses the example of a dishonest manager to teach his disciples lessons in godliness. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples with the religious leaders in earshot. I know it's uh, been a few nights, you've slept a few nights since we are in Luke last, but where we left off was in Luke 15. And when we looked at Luke 15, we looked at three parables, I believe, are meant to be looked at together. You got the parable of the lost sheep, 
the lost coin, and the lost son, with a focus really on the parable of the lost son. And within that parable, the focus of Jesus is on the older brother. And the reason why is because at the beginning of that series of parables, parables, the, the Jewish religious leaders were being critical of Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. In chapter 16, Jesus' focus shifts from the religious leaders to his disciples. Now, you would think that a parable about a dishonest manager who cares more about himself than anybody else, who squanders everything his master gives him, you would think that would be directed toward the religious leaders, right? But it's not. And the reason I know that is verse 1. Look at it again. In verse 1, we're, we're told, And Jesus said to the disciples, He's speaking to His disciples, What kind of lesson can be learned from the disciples here, learned as disciples from the bad example of a dishonest manager? Well, that's what I want you to really wrestle with today as we dig in to this parable. How can a good teaching come from such a bad example? We will learn that today. Oftentimes, the shocking nature of the stories that Jesus tells is really meant to capture His audience's attention so they don't forget the point that He's making. And I pray we won't as well. Jesus was a master of this when telling parables. He also here follows a typical rabbinic pattern of teaching. He uses this quite a bit in his teaching. The rabbis used it as well. It's the teaching from the lesser to the greater. Jesus would use this a lot. This was popular among the rabbis as well. It's the argument that says, if A is true, how much more so is B true? Very effective and really works here. I hope you see that. Story's pretty simple to understand. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells of this rich man who has a steward, a manager. So right off the bat, we know this guy's wealthy. He has a guy underneath him hired just to manage his wealth. We're also told that many are indebted to him. Some from anywhere from, from three years all the way to ten years worth of debt that they owe this man. He is, he is wealthy. And we learn in the story that word comes to this rich man that his manager is mishandling his money, squandering his possessions. Now, this is terrible news, right? The guy that he trusts the most is being dishonest and is costing him money. So he goes to his manager and he says this, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. Now, some of you who are familiar with these types of situations in the business world, maybe you've experienced this, you might be thinking to yourself, you got to get rid of that guy immediately. If you have proof that he is mishandling your money. you got to get rid of him. Don't even give him a chance to, to, to gather up the evidence. You have the evidence right there. Fire him on the spot and you, you do the, the needed research that needs to be done, right? If he was a, a threat to your, your finances when he hadn't been found out and when there was a price to pay, he's even more dangerous now, right? But he gives him some time. 
And we learn that the manager makes the time that he gives count in his favor. Look at verse 3 again. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? He's at a loss at first. No doubt he's going to be fired. He's going to be out on the streets. He's going to have nowhere to go. No one's going to want to hire him, right? Because news of this will, will certainly travel. What's he going to do? And he expresses the fact that he doesn't want to sink from the level that he, is, he has been where he has been. He says, I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I'm not going from Wall Street to ditch digging. That's what he's saying. This guy's a white collar guy. It's too much for him. He's too proud to beg. Self-centered, proud, egotistical person. He's at a loss at first on what to do, and then he has an aha moment. Look at it, verse 4. I've decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. Said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Cut it in half. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? Said, a hundred measures of wheat. Said to him, take your bill and write 80. So, so notice this, this man's plan. Remember, the Jewish people were an agrarian people, so they often owed debts in oil and in wheat, and they would pay those debts at harvest time. So here, this manager decides with the last bit of power that he has and influence he has to strike deals with those who owe debts. We're told of two he settles here. He may have had more. It's just a story. He tells two to make the point that he's making deals, right? He sits down with one. He says, how much do you owe? hundred measures of oil I read where one commentary said that that would have been about, about three years wages. So he said, cut that in half. Cut it down to a year and a half. I have no doubt that that guy jumped all over that, right? Then he says to another, how much do you owe? hundred measures of wheat. I read where that would have totaled about 10 years worth of wages, says make it, make it 80. So he cuts two years off of this man's debt. Again, imagine he didn't hesitate but, but jump at the, at the chance to make that deal. These are big discounts that he gives. And, and you know what else this did? This indebted these debtors to this manager. Remember we talked about this, the, the Jewish people functioned on this idea of reciprocity. This is the idea that if I scratch your back, you are required to scratch mine. So if you did something like this for someone they felt obligated to pay you back until you were both even. This man is thinking, I'm going to lose my job. I don't have anywhere to go. So I'm going to use the power that I have left, the finances entrusted to me, to set myself up nicely with people indebted to me so that I will be secure for the future. How does the master respond when he finds out? He praised him. Not because he was honest. Not because he was trustworthy. Not because he was responsible. He was none of those things. He praises this man for his shrewdness. 
He praises this man for using his position and his wits to set himself up, to benefit himself. He's telling him, that's a good business move you just made there. He praises him for taking advantage of his position and opportunity. And Jesus uses this man as an example for his disciples. And the question we need to ask ourselves now is, why? Why would he do that? What lessons are there to be learned from this wicked, proud, selfish, dishonest manager? He tells us in verse 8. The master commanded the dishonest manager, the, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Here's the lesson. Sinners are shrewder than saints. Sinners are shrewder than saints. The ungodly invest far more time and energy and are much wiser about building their temporal future than believers are about building a heavenly one. That's the point that Jesus is making here. Think about it. For many sons of this age, they are consumed with concerned about securing for themselves a good and lofty and cushy future in the here and now because that's all they got. It's really mind-boggling to me to look at the investment world. I don't, I don't get it. You got all these strategies and maneuvers people go through to set themselves up financially. You got somebody that that's their job just to, to explain that to people like me, right? It's, it's beyond me. And, and for some, investing all of that time, being, being consumed with that and, and putting in all of that effort. Listen, it's a fool's errand. It's a fool's venture because many don't live long enough to even enjoy it. I heard pastors say recently, you spend all those years sending it forward and then you get there and you got a year. Maybe three, maybe five, and you don't even enjoy it like you would have because you don't see like you used to, don't hear like you used to, don't, don't taste like you used to. Maybe you finally get that car of your dreams and they take your license away. Right? Am I wrong? We know that's happened. God in page after page after page after page of his word bursts the bubble of the American dream and he gives us a better way. He does, again and again. He says, do not treasure up treasures here on earth that cannot be enjoyed long term. Treasure up treasures in heaven that will be enjoyed forever. Jesus turns to this theme again and again. What are you living for today? What are you planning for at this moment? It should be amazing to us believers, all the effort, all the time, all the manpower, all the money that goes into planning for a temporal future and how little time goes into planning for eternity. That's Jesus' point. Worldly, godless people are amazingly shrewd at taking care of their 
brief future. And there are many sons of light who fail at using financial resources, time, money, manpower toward their heavenly future, which is forever. What a perfect lesson for us today from our Lord, right? This is timely. How, how applicable is this for us today? Believers, our home is heaven. Our home is heaven. We are God's kingdom people who have an inheritance laid up for us that is incorruptible and eternal, and we are called by God to make preparations today for that day. Where are you investing your resources? How much time, money is spent preparing for your earthly future versus your heavenly one? Those are great questions to ask. At the end of this passage, Jesus calls for his disciples to reflect on this very thing and consider how the use of earthly resources benefits others, what it reveals about the heart, and how it can be used to the glory of God. That's where he's going here at the end. Let's first see point number one. I know that was a lengthy intro. Apologize. How the use of earthly resources benefits others. Look at verse 9. Jesus tells his disciples, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. In other words, use your wealth for the sake of others. Not to, not to buy friends in order to use them to benefit yourself, like the, like the shrewd manager does, but for their sakes, for their benefit, to bless them, to promote community and advance God's kingdom purposes. Use your resources to care for those in need for kingdom purposes, to win converts, and to bless the beloved. Verse 9, Jesus talks about unrighteous wealth. He's just speaking of worldly riches that are attained in this life and lost in the next. While worldly wealth comes and goes, the kingdom community lasts forever. Instead of saving all your wealth to buy expensive toys in the here and now that lose their value in a year and won't be worth anything five to ten years from now or, or even laying up for yourself a, a cushy uh, future in the here and now that will be gone as well, Jesus says instead invest in people for their sakes, for the sake of growing and advancing God's kingdom so that you will enjoy the return on that investment forever in glory. Now, this does not mean it's wrong to buy things and to enjoy the blessings of this earth. You know, sometimes you have to remind Christians that we're not Gnostics. Gnosticism is that old heresy that says that everything physical is bad and only the spiritual is good. No, that's, that's a... That's a heretical view, and it fails to, to understand why God placed us here in the state he, he put us here. Remember, God created us as physical people, amen? 
to live on a physical earth, amen, and to enjoy physical blessings of the world. They can, be, they can be attained and enjoyed. But get this, they should not master us. They should not take up residence in the place that is reserved for God alone. They should not, not rule us. But they can and should be enjoyed by us. Listen, you can eat a steak to the glory of God. You can. You can bless others with that too, preferably your, your pastor here, right? There's some application right there, okay? Bless your pastor with the stake to the glory of God. All right. You can do that, though. You can bring glory to God in, in the blessings that, that uh, you enjoy. We're going to enjoy it here on earth as believers for all eternity as blessings in creation with him. All right? So that's important. They can and should be enjoyed, but they, they must not rule our hearts. But folks, there's coming a day when worldly wealth will be no longer of any use to us. It will fail, we're told. And when that happens, what will you have to show for it? Have you invested in a kingdom that is eternal? Will you enjoy the, the fruits from that for all eternity? Listen, who will you be bringing with you to glory? That's a good question to ask. We need to be investing our time and our money in people, parents and our kids, grandparents and our grandkids, those in our family, friends, for the purpose of, of seeing them repent and turn to Christ so that they can spend eternity with us in the presence of the Lord. Those are the kind of preparations that you should be making it was C.T. Studd who once said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. True. Very true. May those words be words that we live by. So that's how to use earthly resources to benefit others. Now let's discuss how the use of earthly resources expose the heart. Look at verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. What Jesus is saying here is very simple and true. However we use our resources reveals the condition of our hearts. We learn in verse 10, get this, this is key. Circumstances do not determine faithfulness, character does. Circumstances do not determine faithfulness. Character does. Have you ever heard someone say, if I had more, I'd give more? No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It doesn't matter how much you have. The widow who had nothing gave everything. The rich man we're going to look at in a few weeks, the parable of the rich man Lazarus, he had everything and gave nothing. It's not about circumstances. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. If you desire to invest in God's kingdom work, you will. If you don't, you won't. It's that simple. What is your desire? What is your desire to give to? What does that tell you about you? 
a question to ask yourself. Maybe you have little and you're thinking, Graham, I don't, I don't have much to give. I don't care about that. I really don't. What I care about is whether or not you have a desire to give it. Pray that God would give you a desire, if you don't have it, to invest in people, invest in His church, invest in His kingdom work. How much are you investing in those things? What does that tell you about your heart? Look at verses 11 and 12. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, underline that, by the way, that which is another's, it's not ours, is it? Who will give you that which is your own? Jesus is speaking of eternal reward here. He says, how can you expect reward in glory if you have squandered and wasted your opportunity here, if you have not been faithful with, with that which is another's that's been entrusted to you, if we're not faithful with what God has given us, how can we expect Him to reward us richly in glory? Do you realize that what you have right now is not your own? It, it's not. Your house, your car, all your money, your investments, those are not yours. I think I could even convince a non-believer of that. Because when you die, what happens? It doesn't go with you. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, it goes to someone who didn't work for it, and they're going to squander it. How's that sound to you? <laughs> you, you might be in control of where it's directed, but it doesn't go to you. You ultimately don't own a thing. God tells us this in His Word. We, we don't own anything. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and, and, and those who dwell therein. He owns everything. You included. You are not your own. God is creator of everyone and everything. He is over everyone and everything and He owns it all. All of it is His. We read Psalm 50 this morning, verses 10 and 11. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Everything we have in this life, we are managers of. Everything we have is a stewardship. It belongs to God and He has called us to, while He's called for us to enjoy the blessings He gives, He wants us to use those for His purposes and glory. And how we use those things reflects what's truly in our hearts. You're going to be challenged this week in your study guide to take a long, hard look at how you spend your money and your time whether or not you're blessing others with what you've been blessed with, it may not be fun for some of you. I'm just going to warn you. Don't let that stop you from doing that examination. That is very, very important that you do so because what you will find when you do that is where your treasure is. And guess what? Where your treasure is, 
There your heart is. Jesus is going to tell us that in just a moment. Last point. We have discussed how the, the use of earthly resources benefits others, how it exposes the heart. Lastly, let's see how it brings glory to God. How the use of earthly resources brings glory to God. Look at verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says here you're going to have one of two masters in your life, one of two kings, one of two authorities. He says one you will hate and the other you'll love, one you will despise, the other you'll be devoted to. He says, your, your, your king, your master, your lord, your authority will either be God or money is the way the, the ESV translates. It's also translated mammon, which just means your stuff. Your stuff, your, your wealth, your toys, your money, your, your, your stuff. You have one of two kings in your life, one of two allegiances, one of two lords. It'll either be God or your stuff. Now, now here's, the, here's the kicker, all right? Though we hate to admit it, our stuff is an appealing and attractive master to us. It is. We're being honest. Heard it said that one of the greatest dangers to Christianity is not so much atheism or, or another uh, cult or world religion. It's, it's materialism. Materialism. Especially here in the West, one of the, one of the greatest Threats and dangers for us that will be more subservient, that will have more of an allegiance to our stuff than to God. And the reason why this should concern us is because, get this, God has put us on this planet. He has created us for Himself. He has created us for Him, to live for Him and for His purposes and for His glory. And it is not possible... For us to live our lives in that way if we are mastered by mammon. It's not possible. The king of the kingdom, the master of the universe, the Lord God does not play second fiddle to anyone or anything, period. He wants all of you or none of you. Some of you might be thinking, man, that's just that's a big ask there by Jesus. That's asking a bit much. Well, let me put it in perspective for you guys and gals. Imagine your husband and wife coming to you saying, you know what? I love you. I love being in a relationship with you. I really, I really love our relationship. I love being around you. But I love him or her just a little bit more. But your second you're a close second. Second's good, right? How's second sound now? Sound good, does it? No, we, we want to be the only love of our spouse's life in that way. We don't want any rivals in this area. Am I right? Is that safe to assume here? Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be. Same is true with the king of the kingdom says it's, it's all or nothing with me. 
I am the king. I rightfully deserve all of you. Not some of you, not a part of you, all of you. That was the lesson that was, that was given of the rich young ruler. We're going to look at it in a few weeks when we turn to Luke 18. When we're there, remember he comes to Jesus. He expresses a desire to follow Jesus. I want to know salvation. I want to be a part of your kingdom. How does Jesus respond? Sure, come on, it's easy. Just pray this simple prayer. Walk the aisle, pass through the waters of baptism, and then just go on your way and do what you were doing beforehand. Is that what Jesus says? No, he says, sell everything. Why does he say that? Because Jesus knows this man's heart. He knows that his God is money. Though this guy wanted Jesus, he didn't want him first. He didn't, and he went away because he had a lot of wealth. Jesus says, if you're not willing to put me first, then you cannot follow me as king and know my salvation. He must be Lord of your life. You must surrender to Him as Lord. He wants all of you or none of you. That's why seeking the kingdom is so difficult. It's, a, it's impossible apart from the grace of God. We need God to do this work in our heart and life. And the reason why is because we are drawn to stuff. It's a desirable and attractive master to us. That's why we spend more time thinking about it than not thinking about it. But as I've said in here time and time again, while money makes a good servant, it makes a bad master. It makes a lousy lover. Being mastered by material things always brings misery. You know why? Because the joy to be had in those things is always outweighed by the desire for more of those things always happens. John D. Rockefeller, when asked how much money is enough, you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Perfect example. It does not bring happiness long term. It does not bring satisfaction that lasts. But here's the good news. While being mastered by stuff does not bring lasting satisfaction, living in relationship with God, living a life of worship, to Him, and, and using the blessings that He gives to be a blessing to others, for the benefit of others, and for the advancement of God's kingdom, that does bring long-term, lasting happiness. Satisfaction forever. A life lived for God and His glory is a satisfying life of continued joy. You know why? Because that's why we were created. That's why we're put here. Augustine said this. Look at this quote. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Yes. Has your heart found rest in the Lord? Where do your allegiances lie? What do you treasure? Created things or the Creator? Are you, are you captivated by creation or 
Are you directing your praise and your worship toward the Creator? Can you say with confidence that you resonate with the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, where it says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou my inheritance now and always, Thou and Thou only, first in my heart, High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. You want to experience lasting enjoyment, satisfaction forever. You have to put the heavenly relationship before earthly riches. That's what God requires of all of us, for us to put first things first, for for stuff to be our servant, the thing He blesses us with to be our servant for His kingdom purposes, but for God Himself, God alone to be our master. You're here this morning, if you're you're listening online, and your treasures are here on the earth, you're treasuring up treasures here. If Christ is not Lord of your life, if you're living your life for the kingdom of self, instead of the kingdom of God, I urge you today, forsake your sin. Turn from that way that leads to misery and take the narrow path the joy, the path of salvation through Jesus Christ. Turn your life up and over to Him. Give your life to King Jesus. Bow before Him. Surrender to Him as Lord. Step up off the tiny throne of the kingdom of self and bow the knee to King Jesus and be saved today. Let's pray together.